Greetings, Pathfinders, and welcome to our After Party, episode 13. Lucky 13. Uh, lucky, yeah, lucky 13, Ooh. covering episodes 37, 38, and 39. Does anybody here have any Triskaidekaphobia? No. Mom was born on a Friday the 13th, so I hope not. I love 13. That's a good number. Yeah. Do you know what it is this time, Jordan? What, Triskaidekaphobia? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Context clues. With the, well, no, yeah, it's the fear of the number 13, but yeah. I asked that in epi- at the beginning of episode 13, that exact same question. Jordan's like, I would if I knew what that was. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has okay, learned something so from my, our podcast. I was going to say, he can be taught. So inevitably, the audio will be corrupt on this episode, and I'll have to redo all of it. No. Oh, no. Why? 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 <laughs> Lucky 13. Lucky 13. Lucky 13. All right, yep. tell us some Go things. Uh, so, starting off with episode 37, uh, that was the one where we were fighting the uh, false guards, who were actually Silver Chain mm. uh, members, uh, leading us to go down through the uh, very poorly hidden door. It's nailed shut, guys. <laughs> oh, no, we swear. I love it. <laughs> uh, where we'd found just a ton of saffron, which uh, means mm. we're going to be eating well tonight. And then we had gone down a set of stairs to a little underground area, fallen in a pit trap, except I for on Eurus. I did not. Yeah. Well, and Quasin and on her because they you know, can fly. fly. Yeah. I wish I could fly, which had been inconvenient and reminded me that Sudi needs to get slow fall. <laughs> um, we had then uh, gone into a room and found some weird loot. Apparently their junk warehouse actually had some, some nuggets of gold. Yes, because people don't have ranks in like, the knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> I re- actually it really helps. liked what they did there with that, where it was it was a whole bunch of stuff where nothing would be of any value unless you can actually make the skill check to determine that it is things of value, which reinforces the fact that you are all experienced tomb robbers. Yeah. Um, excuse me. Tomb raiders. No. No, no, no. Uh, I work in a museum. <laughs> Technically, you did raid tombs with us. I know. It was Indiana just Jones sanctioned. was still a tomb raider. Let's not, let's be real. Like, that's what he did. Even though it belongs in a museum. That's what we did with We still sold it all stuff. at an auction, actually. We didn't sell it to a museum at all. We sold, we didn't sell any actual artifacts besides the funerary mass, did we? At I the mean, auction? I mean, I'd everything have to go else back we gave to the museum, everything else we gave to the church. Because it was a And bunch we got of fair market value yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like they bought it from us. We didn't I mean, donate they, yeah, it. Yeah, they, they still gave us the gold for it. Yes. What do you think the Church of Phrasma is going to do with it, though? Mm. I mean, <laughs> use it. I don't know. Display it? Probably. Yeah. yeah. So. Museum like? Exactly. Uh, We still made money off of it. Yeah. So, uh, on that episode, I thought what was really interesting is I don't remember how long it's been since there's just been a plain pit trap in in anything we've done. Like, it's been, it feels like it's been like forever since we've done it. I think you guys immediately asked me about the spikes. I'm like, there's no actual spikes. Exactly. No, it's just just a hole you go (laughs) in. The last pit trap I remember was the one where I fell down and hit the pit, it hit the spikes. And that was also a game where Rachel was playing the rogue and missed the check. There is. I'm noticing Rachel, a pattern here. Rachel as a rogue is hilarious because Rachel has like ridiculous dice luck, except when she needs to save you from traps. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't know what that is. It's kind of my thing also. Like I tend to roll fairly well outside of combat when it comes to like perception checks and stuff. But then as soon as we get into combat, nothing but twos and threes. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. But you know what? That pit trap made me so upset because Sagira had even like kicked the dirt a little bit. Like, is there something with this sand? Um, and like looked at the floor, but like I didn't search for traps because you know I'm trusting the rogue. And I was like, "Dang it! I well, will now search for traps always." And I also, <laughs> as a as a GM, I assumed that you were doing that because I made the statement. I was like, "Okay, you reached the bottom of the stairs," and I never try to infer what a player is doing yeah. as far, especially if it's movement, especially in a room with a trap. And so I just assumed you're sitting at the base of the steps, going, "Okay, there's nothing here," and then you walk ten feet further into the room, and there's the trap. Yeah. 
But I like I thought maybe there was a tripwire or something hidden underneath, or like one of those pressure plates. Yeah, you know, because we've had yeah. we've seen a lot of those. And when I kicked the sand and it was like, it's just a floor, I was like, oh, okay, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. That's so I, I actually, I honestly like to think that that trap was probably there because there aren't any spikes or anything down at the bottom. It's still lethal. It's a 30 foot drop. That'll kill yeah. your average commoner. Which will kill yeah. or incapacitate many. But I like to think that it's there for the purpose of capturing people because mm-hmm. trap doors shut. And so it's that idea that, okay, somebody just happened to break into this place and comes down here. Well, we can interrogate them later on. They seem well, to have we'll a, throw them in a different pit. We'll throw them in a different pit. Yeah, <laughs> I love pits. They should have been yeah. called the silver pit. <laughs> the silver pit. Who knows? Maybe that guy that you found in Akintepi's tomb in episode two was just thrown down that hole by these guys. That, that's the Did he have a silver chain on his wrist? That would have been really interesting. No. Sad. Maybe they took it. And then that horrific lung hat monster attacked oh my us. Uh, bringing us to episode 38, the battle yes. against the Tekenu. The battle with yes, the lung the hat. Uh, I am so sick of things with damage reduction five everything. Yeah, that's becoming a problem. It's... It's a problem at low levels because we don't have the magic items to overcome that. Well, it's like, everything. Ooh. We had that great spell that first fight. We yeah, all, which I have once a day. <laughs> we all take one rank of paladin and then we smite things. Most of the time, Sagira would lose that in like two yeah, seconds. Yeah, Sagira. Yeah. I mean, my deity uh, doesn't really have paladin. I was about to say, who all here qualifies for being a lawful good paladin? I would. I do. I don't. You're not lawful. You're not lawful. Oh, it's lawful. I, I'm <laughs> you could be lawful. Onuris is lawful good. He could be a paladin if he wanted to. Yeah. And yeah, I'm actually, good. I think talking one of Horace's blurbs about how he had paladins, but yeah, um, I was a little disappointed that when they discussed the Egyptian deities, they didn't give the paladins codes because those are always yeah. some of oh, my favorite cool. parts of deity entries. But yeah, I could be a paladin. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. But I could be a paladin. <laughs> I think Citra could be, but she wouldn't want to be. Well, yeah, it's too strict of a thing for Sagira. But if we were all paladins, we could have been like, smite, chop, chop, <laughs> smite, yeah. chop, Instead, chop. it was like, well, I guess I'm going to grab a thing. I do always like a fight, though, when I'm when you're fighting something so odd that I get to get creative with descriptions of how it's moving and flying around and all the rest of that. <laughs> yeah, that and, and that's I a ass- lot of fun. I assume that was unique to this adventure path. Um, you said there was a blurb. About how that ties to the Egyptian lore, yes, if I remember correctly. Actually, well, this first appeared in this adventure path. I think it was actually republished later, considering when this came out, probably in Bestiary 5 or 6. I'm not sure which. I mean, it's a creepy little interesting thing. It's it's really interesting. Tanuki. You say that, and all I can think of is the Tanuki. Like, is it for Mario? Yeah, the yeah. Tanuki suit. It's uh, not a it's not a cute little raccoon suit. No. <laughs> but yes, the Tekenu. <laughs> Tekenu, that's the name. Tekenu of ancient Egypt. There is a side blur for this that states uh, one of the many mysteries surrounding ancient Egyptian lore is the Tekenu. Shown as a figure in burial scenes, the exact image of the Tekenu changed throughout the history of Egypt and to this date still confounds scholars. In some imagery, the Tekenu is depicted as a person wearing some sort of sack or animal skin seated on a sleigh and being drawn by other people or animals. Other instances portray the image not as a person, but instead as a sack, believed to contain the body parts of the deceased that did not make their way into the canoptic jars used in mummification, but were still needed in the afterlife. So when you described it as having a sleigh being pulled by animals, I was like, Santa, is that you? (laughs) (laughs) Is the Krampus... <laughs> no, maybe, maybe, actually, maybe the Krampus. And it shows wow. you in its sack of body parts. So, yeah, it's actually kind of an interesting. They took uh, something referenced in Egyptian hieroglyphs and everything and turned it into a, uh, a monster. Uh, yeah, and if you've never played Pathfinder um, or gone through an adventure path, Paizo is incredible about taking 
actual world lore. They do a really good job of like finding real world stuff and making it horrible and terrifying, but also super interesting in the monsters. Yes. I do not know which of these three, because they don't label individuals who write the creatures, but the best theory entry for this was written by Crystal Frazier, Thurston Hillman, and Will McCardell. So whichever one of you came yeah. up with that. Those are all those. three good people. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm glad it didn't have an intestine. Yes, yeah. the constriction, yeah. Actually, if it has, because you, so fun thing pertaining towards this also, it typically has, quote, 1d4. So I actually rolled a three for how many of those it has. Wow. So it has on average two or three of the abilities. But it does specifically state that uh, when the creature has absorbed all four organs, thus gaining the full suite of abilities, it still hungers for more. The challenge rating for a Takendu that possesses all four canoptic organs increases by one. Ooh. Wow. Yep. That thing was yeah. hard enough. I didn't... Ugh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it only had an AC 16. Flat-footed AC of 11, which came into play during that episode, that but its flat-footed AC reduction. was shockingly... Yeah, uh-huh. but that damage reduction of five everything... Uh, it actually had a weakness, horrible. but sadly not one that you could take advantage of. What was it? It's vulnerable to channeled energy, so no. it takes an additional 50% oh. of damage. Uh, yeah, well, we had a crap ton of zombies to deal with earlier. It's so. been a long day. It yeah, it's been, been a very long day. long day. But yeah, 65 hit points, too, with a damage reduction of 5. That, that I think took a while to pound. I think I am going to take improved grapple, and then I'll be able to take some of the other grapple things with my martial flexibility. Which Wouldn't be, be a cool. bad idea. Since I seem to grab things at least three times a book like <laughs> the first book we grabbed a bunch of stuff the second book this is already the first thing i've had to grab because episode 38 was that entire fight right uh yeah so that so. entire fight was the yep. the one episode um yeah it was, a, it was a pretty challenging fight for you guys yeah uh, and it used a whole lot of the room which i actually like i always enjoy when a monster uses the entirety of the area that it's fighting in. yeah and yeah, it's not just by. stand in place and swing at each other kind of thing yeah i had to run around a lot I was, I was gonna say uh, it's one of those times we we have we see like a clear gap in our abilities because we're like part of it is the damage reduction but we're like yeah we're not great at range I have a great ranged weapon it's just nicking it for one or two points of damage is gonna yeah. make it take forever yeah, so, well, yeah. Citra and Segura are both pretty solid at range the problem is is that neither of them have the ability to get through that damage reduction. Yeah, Yeah. that was the problem. Because they were hitting pretty regularly and hitting for something along the lines of, if it didn't have that damage reduction, it would have gone down three turns before it did. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. That's why I was like, I need to get it on the ground so that we can do some melee wet tacks to it. And and then watch me flail ineffectively and do like one point of damage. I mean, it is what it is. (laughs) Well, either Sudi needs to start carrying more daggers or... Get a big weapon. You have oh, I, I had I had more daggers, but uh, the problem with it is my daggers will do a D4 plus three, so I've got a 50% chance of doing nothing well, to it. Well, can we go to the next episode so that we can talk about the sword? <laughs> we can't talk about the sword until we get the sword, because Rick's not going to tell us what say, it does until yeah. the fight. But it's so cool. But uh, yeah, so bringing us to episode 39, uh, which was our... Rather short battle with uh, some more silver chain and the hyena named Ed with two Ds. So cute. Kind of, an, I was like really interesting um, and getting kind of the <laughs> the story on what the heck is going on with the rooms that are all boarded up. Yeah, yeah, that um, was yeah. gonna be one of my questions, but then we found out, so I was like, oh, we know. Yeah, I can give you a little more detail. Yeah, I don't what exactly you guys is in there? Yeah, I'm not opening a door that makes everyone want to kill everybody. That yeah. seems like <laughs> no. a thing yeah. that we just keep shut. Yep. I was assumed this party is paranoid enough that I figured you guys probably weren't going to go in there unless yeah. you unless you searched the entirety of this building and went, well, it's the only thing left. Well, you know, we, we live in Osirian. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We are trained to be superstitious. <laughs> oh, well, that was a board, two boarded up doorway entrances and stuff, stuff underneath. Like, that's 
That's yeah. not just paranoia. That's yeah, just that's like, like it, that's smart. beyond that's, that's fear. Yeah, I was gonna say that's beyond normal it's levels of keeping things pinned in. The long story short is. It's a laboratory that the Silver Chain's former leader always hoped to expand the gang's operation to producing Mamiya. She turned this chamber, previously used to store coal for the furnaces, into a laboratory, but the drug's fickle manufacturing process and the gang's general unfamiliarity with alchemy always doomed their efforts to failure. Eventually, dabbling rendered the lab toxic enough to seal off. When one of the other members of the Silver Chain died investigating the room, Ekram decided to keep it sealed, leaving the individual's corpse within. Oh, oh so I bet they're alive in there. <laughs> yeah, I bet there's some sort of creepy zombie mummy in there. Of Probably. Doom. Yeah. Probably and a couple. You guys actually made the perception check to notice the smell. pungent stench. You could actually identify it if any of you had craft alchemy, which has cropped up a lot. There's yeah. a lot of surprising amount. Yeah. yeah but I, might... I guess it does make sense with Egypt and its yeah. mixing of reagents. And, and all of yeah. the incense and everything they use. Yeah. Fun, fun side note, uh, a lot of the like hermetic order of symbols and everything that are commonly Egyptian were tied back because most scholars, particularly during the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, mm. and the uh, the Victorian age that were researching alchemy went all the way back to Egypt, and which is why Egyptian symbols are extraordinarily common in like hermetic orders. That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah I might pick up or put a rank in that. I don't know. I well, like it, it, it would actually make sense was, for Segura. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, and it, it seems to have cropped up enough that I'm getting that kind of like a meta hint that this might be important. Yeah, ironically enough, though, closing it has actually caused the gas to condense, and so it's actually more dangerous now than it would have been if they just left the doors open. And let it air out. <laughs> and yeah. let it air out, and as such, it can cause uh, horrible, horrible stuff. Uh, wisdom damage and confusion. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Which is why they went crazy and stabbed each other. Yeah. Because yep. they got the attack nearest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's the interesting thing, of course, with confusion is, and this actually, it barely comes into play when you guys are using it as much, is if you're attacked on the previous round, you automatically get attacked nearest. Mm-hmm. So if you have two people and both of them are confused and one of them gets attacked nearest and attacks the other one, they're then that one gets loop. attacked nearest, attacks the first one, and then it just becomes a, a cycle of them continually attacking each other until one of them dies. Mm. Okay, then. So, yeah. yeah, it's a horrible room. I have a long history of rangers getting confused every time confusion's a thing and then attacking nearby people. Yeah. So I'd like to avoid that. I imagine yeah. that's why uh, Citra has Iron Will now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yes. I was, I was going to say, confusion is one of those things that, uh, from a from a gameplay standpoint, you want to cause chaos on the battlefield. That is the chaos spell. As yeah. a spellcaster, I effing love that spell. Oh, yeah. No, it's great to use on other people, but when it's used on you, it literally it is like... Always. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so continuing on that episode, uh, we had then uh, gone down a hallway we to find Tetmanib. Yeah, we found yeah. Tetmanib. Yeah. Oh, and on yours, let a guy go. Oh, yeah. 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 Because yeah. he surrendered, which was the right thing to do. Weird. And he gave us the information we needed and didn't try to lie to us. So he gets a pass. Well, I imagine he also had more important things to deal with right now. Yeah. <laughs> and Onuris is lawful, yeah, but he's also good. And the kid did the good thing. So here, just get a chance to do the right thing. And if I see you again, then no, you get arrested. <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, every time I one. see you again, I will kill you. No, Lol. he's not that extreme. <laughs> Onuris doesn't like killing people. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so saving Tetman, it was kind of interesting because they just like put him in a hole. True. It's like Well, they don't have any cells and don't want to bind him, so let's throw him down this 30-foot hole. There's The likelihood of a normal person being able to climb out of that's not great. Yeah, that's true. And uh, without his holy symbol, he wouldn't well, have been able to do Well, and they threw anything. that other kid down there, and he just died. 
Poor kid. That was sad. On the way out, I want to see if he's undead and take care of it, but I wasn't going to waste resources right before. Oh, yeah, no, no. Shoot shoot a few crossbows from the top. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's a question. Did he try to escape and get caught, or did he, like, go back to them and get put in the hole? Well, because you'll never get an answer, is he tried to get to the docks and escape. But what you don't really know is the silver chain, their power structure has been steadily spreading. I hinted at that some with your discussion with the Viper. Yeah. And so he was just caught there. They brought him back here. They threw him down the hole. That didn't actually kill him. He started it. No, he tried to climb out. Oh, and he fell. And then he he fell fell again. Yeah. And like on a similar thing to that with them tossing Tetmanib down there, despite the fact that Tetmanib is a powerful cleric, Mm. he only has a strength of eight. And he probably uh, doesn't have, like, ranks and climb. And he has no ranks and climb. Yep. Yeah. And yep. it's a DC 15 climb check to get out. So he'd have to roll a 16 to pass. And how many cut checks would you have to make to get to the top of a 30-foot, like... Uh, two? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you, just one? you climb at a quarter speed, so you'd have to make you'd have to make four oh, yeah, checks yeah. with a minus one modifier, getting a DC 15 every time. Yeah. yeah. yeah the chances yeah. are... fell by five or more. And even if he gets to the top... He what's was, he going to do? He was completely nude with nothing. Well, he's completely nude with nothing and then he walks out of this place, gets to that hallway, walks down that and then triggers the pit trap and falls down a 30 foot pit. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The pit trap was almost to keep people in. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad, we got, I got, I'm glad we got Tetmanib though. You did rescue Tetmanib. We yeah. did. I would have been super disappointing if we had like gotten and it was like you died or it was too late. Oh, poor Quasin. I don't want to have to try to console Quasin if, it's true. if Tetmanib was dead. Yeah. Oh, that would have been sad. Yeah, although I I would be totally okay with keeping Quasin around because she's, she's super fun. Or yeah, she's probably require the leadership feat or something eventually. Yeah, yeah you can actually take improved familiar probably improved familiar yeah. for oh that's Psychopomps. cute. I don't yeah. have a familiar. I was gonna say I, I remember Psychopomps being on the list of improved familiars. So they're also oh, yeah. one of your Idolin template options. Really? Uh-huh. Ooh, that's cool for my next summoner. I play. Yeah, I think there was a discussion at some point with you guys about playing a Magus. And I remember the first time that I heard that, my first thought, oh man, like a Magus of Phrasma that takes improved, that takes the familiar, uh, Magus get, it's not discoveries. I can't remember what the Magus uh, ability or whatever Magus it is. Yeah. Yeah. They're Magus ability, Arcana, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, you can get a familiar with one of those. And you can get a familiar with that and then take improved familiar and then have this cool psychopomp that can turn invisible at will and hide from a dead once per day. She gets a sound burst once per day and then... She can uh, speak? speak with dead three times per day. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, we had confronted a uh, leader of the silver chain. Ekram. Ekram Effek, if Efek. I'm pronouncing that right. He's yeah. not all culty. Uh, he was a zealot. Yeah. He had a cool sword. I was going to say, he does have a really cool sword oh. that they're going to they're, they're gonna be fighting over later, I'm sure. Is it's it a magic pink. sword or is it just cool? It's magic. No, cool. I, mean, I mean, yeah, I think we were told that he has a magic sword. Well, well yeah. it... it also, there's there would be no way unless it was magically reinforced oh, to make yeah. a blade out of, but what effectively amounts salt. to salt. Himalayan yeah. sea salt is what I think it is. Yeah, yeah, because it's like it's, yeah for it's pink salt. Yeah, because it's like pink the pink salt. salt. It could be whatever magic has enchanted it has turned it pink or something like that. Yeah, like maybe it glows pink. I mean, it pink could, but there something. is pink salt. That's a thing. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know. Just, if he said it was made out of nitron, which is usually that bright white material. Mm. So yeah. something's yeah. gone on with it that's made it pink. Yeah, uh, that's Spill his aesthetic. Blood. Yeah. His aesthetic so, is pink. No, it's a named sword and everything. So, so oh, that's super. That's super cool. I've yeah, been looking forward to giving this to the group for a while. The the thing that's was surprising to me was how reasonable he was at first to be like, oh, I have no, I have no quarrel with you, and I apologize. And like before, it was like he's a murderer and he loves killing people, and I was like, that's complex characterization because he came across as like surprisingly reasonable. Just like get out of here. 
Well, it seems like murder was more of an afterthought. They were really just trying to kidnap people and do these things because that's not as bad. And then the murder just kind of happened. And then he was like, well, guess that happened. And like yeah. it didn't really bother him, which is as a far problem. as gangs are concerned, yeah, the a large part with the silver chain is the fact that they don't rob from the living, and so well they didn't used to. I think they do. Yeah, now. they do now. Um, yeah. the, the gang has escalated, but the silver chain before was never considered as bad as the faded. Although now he's with a crazy cult, and that's probably where the murder and all this other stuff comes from. Yeah. So. So my question is, when he took over, and this is just me kind of clarifying my timeline, was he already part of the cult when he murdered the previous chick and took over? Or did he murder the previous chick and took over, and then she showed up and was like, I am this funerary lady, you will join my cult? Well, he he killed her (laughs) recently, but he's been part of the cult for a while. Okay. So it was a coup. Yeah. Bad person. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can also tell that he's a two-oven fighter, at least, because he's walking in dual-wielding the Kopesh and Kukri, which How? seems to be rather popular. <laughs> How dare you? This is the, the third counting Sagira Kopesh and Kukri wielder you've seen since Sidori was also. Yep. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty classic. <laughs> it is. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Is It's just like, oh, well, this is an iconic fighting style for this region. <laughs> and it pays off well for you because you keep getting Kopeshes and Kukris. It is yeah. helpful. I have to split the Kukris with Citra, You have to split the yeah. Kukris with Citra and the Kopeshes with Onuris, so... Yeah. At least Sudi doesn't need a weapon. Yeah. Except for more throwing I'm knives. I'm always apparently. armed. <laughs> you got a staff or something, right? I do have a plus one quarter staff. I just haven't used it yet. Got a little John them. Uh, yeah, exactly. Last I have a feeling second. getting rid of this gang is probably going to do some good for our panic level, too. It, probably. We'll see. Yeah, who knows? That seems Hopefully. a reasonable guess. Because then everybody else is in the dead sector, which is, or the dead city, which is now, like, being highly guarded. So... Uh, are we not going to talk about the fact that Silver Chain didn't steal the funerary mask and we still don't know uh, who did? That is one other thing I wanted to bring up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. So then it's like Barefoot Guy was not working for them. Uh, no. Speaking of Barefoot Guy, also Tetmanip has contacts in the necropolis. That's, I was like, what? Yeah. Like a non-human, yeah. non-undead contact. That's been watching us. Extra planar, maybe? Some kind of uh, outsider. I think Jess was pushing the hardest for the Silver Chain having the mask this entire time. I thought they did. To the point that I think the rest of the group eventually went along with it because... I, I mean, I thought they might have it, but I wasn't sure. It would have made sense because they all had, like, the cultists all had funerary masks. Maybe they're looking for a mask. And no, then I, when it says that they're the cult of the Forgotten Pharaoh, I'm like, they probably took the mask. They yeah. were looking for the mask. They just yeah. don't have and it. And are still yeah. looking for it. So there's apparently a third... Yeah, yeah. Citra didn't think it was the them just because the guy was solo that like went in there the and took it. Man, yeah. yeah, but then they were like right at the thing that was open, like that we found the silver chain dead guy, you know, by that warehouse. Yeah, yeah which I think is just because they've in the city, like they they, they dug their nails into all well, these different. Weren't areas. they taking the bodies to try to make more mamiya or something? Is what we thought. Yeah, that makes sense now that we know that they were trying to make. That they're trying to make mamiya. Yeah. yeah. It, so, and poorly, apparently. But they were we just really in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, they're still got animated. They're still evil cultists. And they were still looking for them. Yeah, they were still looking <laughs> for it. But I don't. Yeah, yeah but I never thought it was them. It wasn't the you went here to unlock this thing and yeah. then we're gonna blast off this power so the doors are unlocked so all these zombies can wander around. It was a they were legitimately just there to steal the bodies and oops. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, they had it coming, but you know, <laughs> had it coming. They only had themselves to blame. Yes. They really yeah. do. Yes. Yep. So that become like the new theme song? Apparently. <laughs> yeah. That's our justification song for we're going to kill these people. Yep. 
Yeah. We've actually only ever killed one person. I'd it's like true. It to You've stay that only way. killed one person. Yes, because they did not get healed. <laughs> it's true. They did bleed they did out. Bleed out. I mean, to, to be fair, of all the people who had it coming, Velriana definitely had it coming. Hey, on yours had the choice between going over there and helping her or going over there and helping Kelru, and Kelru was at least Kelru nice. Kelru was yeah. a, nice. ended up being a good guy. Kelru I mean, if he'd had the time, he would have stabilized her too, and then her would have gotten thrown in jail. Yeah. Unfortunately, she was pretty messed up by the end of that fight. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's also the thing of like constitution. Yeah, if we threw her in jail, she'd have been executed anyway. I yeah, don't but know. that's the hands Ooh. of the law. That's yeah. not vigilante justice. The blood's not on your on hands. On thing. It's <laughs> one of those. It's not our place to execute these people. Even if turning them over is going to get them executed. But True. they didn't have any stolen stuff, actually. So they probably wouldn't have been executed. Well, we didn't know yeah. that at the time. <laughs> but uh, it is one of those things no, where like, I also don't really think that Valeriana's dying is like... It's not like murder. It's not like yeah. you killed her. It's but like, you know, we were defending ourselves and things happened. They still would have gotten in trouble for being in the wrong location and attacking us on our site. They still would have gotten into a lot of trouble. There was one other point that you also did learn from that last episode. You know that Ekrom was working with another woman. We have her name. I can't yeah. remember what it is. Uh, Mahapasaka? Yeah. Merit Hetaf. Yeah, yes, that's it. <laughs> you and you also now know that he's dispatched a missive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, using Tetman some kind of like feather there, token bird to yeah. carry the message. Probably telling her everything has gone to heck in a handbasket in the city. Because if they're in the, they're in the dead city, they're undead wandering around there anyway. Well, and, and it doesn't sound like, because they don't have the mask, they didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah. So they're like, what's going on? So you probably yeah. sent a missive to her saying, hey, that weird ne- that pulse has caused all the dead in the living city to rise as undead. What do you want me to do? Yeah. yeah. You know? Makes sense. Yeah. And you'd also found from the, the Silver Chain member that you let go that the Silver Chain has a presence in all three mm-hmm. of the sister cities now, yep. on Tefu and Wati. Which means, I believe, as far as we knew, they had only been in On, so they're expanding not just to Wati, but to Tefu as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it made sense. Now that we know that they are looking for the mask, it came, made sense for them to come to Wati, because that's probably the place out of those three cities where it is. Mm-hmm. And but it was. Tefu also has the giant library where all the ancient Egyptian, art, or ancient Osirian, sorry, artifacts are stored. So if it had been found by someone else, there's a good chance it might have wound up in the museum library in Tefu. Well, and you know what? Let's, if you don't mind, Jordan, real quick. Not I think all. I'm going to do something we haven't done on an after party up until this point. What's that? Why don't all of you just roll me a quick knowledge, geography, or local? Oh, uh, gracious. Uh, I'll actually allow things. religion as well. Good, because I, I don't have either of those. Actually, I have a history. Hang on. All right. Local. 22. The one die roll, we're going to do this entire after party, and I roll on that one <laughs> for an eight. Par for the course. Par for the course for an eight on history. Uh, Citric gets a 23 on knowledge local. Mm-hmm. On yours gets a 25 on religion. Okay. You know what? I'll go ahead and give this to uh, all of you except for Sudi, who doesn't know anything. <laughs> Sudi's the worst roller. And you can, of course, infer this uh, more on this once you guys get back into the, the game, and we'll have an opportunity to talk a little bit about these realizations. If they are looking for the mask, a mask of which you found underneath the Temple of Nethys, there is also a prominent Temple of Nethys in Tefu and a prominent Temple of Nethys in On. All three of the cities of which, from what you found previously, where it was hide this mask at the confluence of these two rivers where they form the River Sphinx, all three of these cities match that description. So they're just checking for the mask in every city. That's possible. That's possible. 
So just some food for thought once you guys get back in there that maybe maybe it wasn't just this situation of like, oh, how convenient that they are searching Wati. It's like, oh, well, maybe you're just seeing one head of the three-headed Hydra. At least it's only three heads for now. No, yeah. Let's see what happens when you chop this one off. I was going to say we're going to chop this one off once you grow back. <laughs> Dang it. Cool. Hail Hydra. No. Traitor. <laughs> you're fired. Get out of here. So we have two fan mail to go uh, over, and these are actually really good. So, first one is from Sarah from Sargava. Is that Sarah the other with, Sarah? Is that Sarah without an H? Uh, that is Sans H. Okay. Sarah. Uh, so, Sarah writes, Good morning, Pathfinders. Thanks so much for putting together such a fantastic podcast week in and week out. Your group has such a comfortable, familiar table feel. I appreciate you sharing that camaraderie with the world. If you have a moment, I had a couple of quick questions for you all, and there are two. Awesome. One. Also, good morning. That is very uh, pressing to, yeah. to realize that we're recording in the morning. We also do have a moment. I was going to not comment on that, but yeah, yeah, it is the morning right now. So first off, first question, what are your favorite flavor feats? Also, what do you feel are the most satisfying feat chains? Oh, I already know my feat chain. I know. Right. Right. I, know I guess Rachel too. can start. We'll just... Okay, so this is because it was my first character in an adventure mm-hmm. path, and it holds a special place in my heart, uh, but I freaking love the step-up feats. <laughs> that whole yes. feat tree where it's like step up, then step up and strike, then step up and a following, step. A following step, step, like that yeah. whole tree. It was so great because you got later in play, and you know, this uh, <clears throat> wizard or whatever would be like five foot step back and be like, ah. Oh, <laughs> that's fine. That's not a real. Customer. And then it'd be like, uh-uh, I'm totally coming after you. And so then step up and wreck Murder. face. Yep. Yeah, it, it, was... it worked particularly well with a fighter because you can take the disruptive feat, where yeah. you eventually get to the point where you actually get to make a tax of opportunity against a wizard that fails a concentration check to yeah. cast on the defensive, so they just can't get away from you. Yeah, Heather. Uh, this is going to sound really simple, but I like the weapon focus, weapon specialization, fighter feats because there's really greater something satisfying. Yeah, yeah, there's really something satisfying about being a high level fighter and then just be like, yeah, I smack them for a D10 plus like 30 something damage just yeah. because. So satisfying. You know? Mm. So it's just something really satisfying yeah. about that. Yeah. Not a feat chain, but for a flavor, like a flavorful feat. Uh, I particularly enjoy, and I've actually taken it for the first time with one of the characters that I've made, Deific Obedience, because it gives you cool abilities. Mm -hmm. It gives you cool abilities specific to your god, which makes it very flavorful. And then it also comes with a ritual you have to perform. Mm -hmm. So it's role-playing tied in with a game mechanic benefit. So it's just a lot of fun. uh, I've taken that. When we did that society that we set in TN, my cleric took that. And so she had to like plant rice seeds. It was like a whole thing. My favorite... Feet tree is one you can only take if you're a kobold. Uh, it's kobold style, kobold flood, and kobold groundling, where you can, you get a bonus on combat maneuvers, and you can take one that gives you a bonus on trip. It's built around using your tail to trip people. And then you can deny people their decks if you've tripped them, and then you can stand on top of them so they can't move, and then you can just, like, kobold them to death, essentially. Like, <laughs> you trip them, you stand on them, and you hit them in the face. Like, it's fun. It's both flavorful and a feat chain. Yeah. Yes, it's both, together. Why not both? So for me, uh, my I really like style feats. I, I think those are such great flavor. For feat trees, I haven't actually done this with my rogue that I'm playing, but uh, I've always thought it would be really fun to do dodge mobility and spring attack because you get a lot more mobility. You can bounce around the uh, battlefield, and so it makes you use the terrain a lot more. It actually worked really well with the monk as well. 
Just and it would work with the movement speed is so high, you could rush forward 20 feet, hit a guy, and then be 50 feet away from them before they can respawn. Yeah, pretty That's much. True. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I've always wanted to do that. I think it's uh, a really interesting feature. Um, and whenever I see people, like, whenever we fight somebody who has all three of those, I'm always like, dang, that is effective. It's shockingly effective. <laughs> well, yeah, because then it makes us burn our second. Like, we can't full out attack because we're having to chase after them the whole time. Yeah, that is that is a good way to deal with those fighters that have lots of attacks. Uh, so Sarah's second question is, and I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation on all of this. I apologize in advance. If you feel comfortable, do, do you want to just pass it over to Jessica and have her read it? She'd probably be able to pronounce actually, it a little you, better. You it's, probably can pronounce it better. Yeah, I'm going pa- to pass the, uh, the baton over to Jess, who can pronounce this. Um, if you feel comfortable sharing, where did Jessica and Rachel live in Korea? I spent two years completing a Fulbright grant down in Mopo Jolanam, do. As well as one year teaching at a kindergarten in Mokdon, Seoul. Oh, fun. Oh, in Seoul. Uh, whenever Sagira talks about how luxurious the Wati bathhouse is, I can't help but remember how delightful every Jimjilbang experience I had was. Oh, we never got to do the Jimjilbang. Um, we got invited a couple times, but we never actually went. We lived in Suwon. Yeah, Suwon. About um, an hour and a half train down Not from... even. It was just an hour. Okay. From Seoul. Yeah. So pretty big city. Definitely not countryside. No. It was pretty good. I'm glad we lived yeah. there. Yeah. We lived in a little um, six-story apartment in Gokbanjandang Chuksan Wulyutan Sinta. That's the station. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Uh, but uh, yeah, we lived in the Gokban. That was the name of our neighborhood, which was pretty awesome. I mean, yeah, so. that was cool. We spent some weekends, a lot of weekends in Seoul. Uh, and uh, Insidong and Myeondong. Um, Especially, yeah. Uh, Myeondong, I think, is where I bought most of my socks. It was either Insidong or Myeondong. I don't remember which, but I, I have a massive sock collection from Korea because yep. they have the cutest socks and they also will rip off everything. So, like, I had Starbucks socks. I had Batman penguin socks. I had Spider-Man penguin socks. I had little otters. I had... Well, Rachel everything. loves socks. She has a few of Totoro yeah. socks. I have so many socks. Like, I want to go back to Korea and just, like, fill a suitcase full of cute socks. But they're so. awesome. And then they had the little carts that would actually drive through the neighborhoods that would literally just sell the socks for a dollar. Rachel was really into socks. <laughs> it was the best part of Korea. Uh, no, actually, second best part of Korea. The best part of Korea was the hot dogs. Oh, yeah, those were good. Those well, were amazing. food was good. Food was amazing. Yeah, so, so there you Korea. go, Sarah. Uh, and of course, both Rachel and Jessica taught over there as well whenever yep. they were over there. Kindergarten. And, uh, thank Kindergarten. you, Sarah, for teaching because we always appreciate our teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially, especially having the courage to go to another country that speaks a completely different language and a completely different culture. It was terrifying. I, yeah, didn't, like, I didn't leave our apartment for the first week we were there. Yeah, that, that homesickness <laughs> is hard. But like, if, you, if your bucket list contains living in another country, that's a good one to do. Yeah, Korea was very welcoming, I would say, mm-hmm. as far as like foreigners go. And can Considering their history, too, it was a little bit surprising. But yeah, it it was definitely a a welcoming country to go to. You have to be a little bit careful with the recruiting process. Mm -hmm. Talk to several places if you are going to do that, Mm -hmm. just as a a safety precaution. But it was... It's good stuff. So it's it's definitely experience. And our listeners, if you guys want to go teach in Korea, it was actually pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, Korea. We could talk about Korea forever, but we should probably move on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So Sarah did have a sign-off. She signs off. Anyway, thanks again, folks. Regards, Sarah from Sargava, by way of Columbus, Ohio. Nice. Very nice. Thank you, Sarah. Woohoo. All right. 
Our second email is from Mark in Belfast, Ireland. Ooh, international mail. Got some international mail. Where is Mark actually from in the Galarian setting? The Feywilds. I. That is that a Galarian setting? <laughs> the Feylands. What do they call that? First world. The area that is closest to the first world in Galarian is the River Kingdoms. There's a lot of bleed over there. Uh-huh. Uh, it's also a very independent nation. Although, anytime I think of Ireland, my mind always goes to Nermathus. Nermathus is always described as this beautiful, verdant, green place full of I these very independent people who are uh, very proud of their heritage and their nation, which... Very much describes yeah, the yeah, that yeah. Fits Irish, Irish people. So so Mark from Nermathus writes... Tamarin is the capital of Nermathus. Okay, so from Tamarin, Nermathus. Hi, everyone. First, I'm from Belfast, Northern Ireland. I'm about four episodes behind since discovering you the other week, and I couldn't wait anymore to email in. I know you don't like to read praise on air, so skip the next paragraph if you like. I'm going to read it on air. <laughs> that's, that's why I hand it off. But yes, thank you, Mark. Please keep this AP going and producing content. There isn't a single facet of your podcast I can fault, from rules to role-playing to production. Yay. Rick, your GM GM narrator style is excellent for the podcast medium. Thank you. Jordan, Jessica, Heather, Rachel, no particular order, I swear. Your playstyles seem grounded in both the system and the characters, which really helps immersion when listening. I've never played, but I'm currently gathering players for the beginner box. I have a question regarding character creation from a practical aspect as opposed to an inspirational aspect. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you pick an AP, do you base your character on that AP's expectations, or do you pick what interests you and then try to make it fit? I guess what I mean is, is there a point where being practical about what you pick as your character become metagaming? Well, that's why they have the player guide. But that's usually why they have the player's guide so that you can kind of meta a little bit. So for example, if you're like our adventure one of our adventure paths took place in Catapesh, well, it's not really metagamey to know that, hey, the main weapon there is a scimitar. So maybe pick a scimitar for your weapon and it really paid off. It totally did. It's not metagaming to make sure that your character makes sense where they are. And to pick choices that would make sense for someone from that yeah, region. Well, I agree yeah. with Rachel. Um, on They're not in print. You have to go to Paizo's website and download them. But the player's guides yes. are excellent. They give you kind of a brief overview of the where you're playing. They actually usually have a blurb about each race of the core races and each of the core classes. Oh, as well as races that would make sense. And other races that would make sense. Mm-hmm. And other classes mm-hmm. that aren't out of the core rulebook mm-hmm. that may be prominent there. Languages. And languages that people are useful to speak. Um, they even under the ranger section they usually list seven or eight things of you'll run into these over the course of the adventure path these are some good ideas for your favorite enemy oftentimes that will make sense That's, where if you're from yeah. ustalov it makes sense to have favorite enemy on deck yeah and i don't has some, a problem. almost any so a class and race combination should be able to work in an adventure path if you work mm-hmm. with your dm and read the player's guide to make it work yeah, there's a couple of adventure paths where they almost specifically tell you there's some things won't work. So like, yeah. so Skull and Shackle, you're playing pirates. So you playing a paladin is going to be almost impossible. Yeah, like, Hell's vengeance also. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. going to say again, Hell's all vengeance, evil party. all evil party, <laughs> try to play a paladin. You're probably not going to have a great time. Um, you split from the party it, and you join the other side. Yeah, it's, or you it's, fall and then become an anti-paladin. It, it's yeah. really all about <laughs> communication with your players and with your DM if you are the players. And if they have an interesting idea, work with them to make it fit. If it's something they're insisting upon playing, 
So if I can wade into this a little bit on the GM side of things, a couple of things to take away. First off, the adventure paths are designed with the belief that characters or that the players know something about the region and that the characters are designed for that adventure path. Mm -hmm. So for instance, fights in something like Giant Slayer, there's an assumption that any characters going into that know that they're fighting against giants and therefore are making characters that would be capable of fighting against giants. It doesn't assume that you min-max, but it assumes that if you have a ranger, the ranger probably knows how to fight giants. If you have a wizard, the wizard probably knows how to fight giants, etc. The second thing that I'll say is, and because we can't reinforce this enough, the player's guide is an amazing resource is also for game masters. In addition, if you go on the Pathfinder wiki and look up the adventure path, I don't suggest this for players because it will give do you the description a, for Do everything. not do it as a player. But if you are a game master, it will not only list the six books, the Pathfinder wiki also lists and provides a link to the player's guide. It also lists and provides a links to players' companions and campaign books that tie into that adventure path all in one place. So for instance, if you are doing something, again, let's just say Giant Slayer, it would list all six books for Giant Slayer, the player's guide for Giant Slayer, the Giant Hunter's Handbook, as well as I think there's a... Uh, Probably Beltskin Hold of the Orc Hordes yeah, is or the uh, Beltskin book, which mm -hmm. is where Giant Slayer takes place. So those are great resources. Don't I never say as far as a character's build is concerned to worry that much about metagaming. Metagaming is a huge concern when you're when you're talking about out of character knowledge. I don't think it's as bad if a player builds a character that's good against giants. I think it's worse if the character in the story goes, "Oh, it's a troll." I know what the trolls are weak to just because I, as a player, know what the trolls are weak to. Well, we kind of we kind of ran into that in the last episode because I was actually really worried about the hyena because they have redonkulous bite damage and critical damage yeah. and things they can do with that bite. <laughs> I was afraid that hyena was going to murder on Uris in like three attacks. Although I will argue that being an actual person from Osirian, Ryan, yeah. you would probably be scared yeah. of the hyena too. But I mean, I don't. On Uris doesn't have ranks and knowledge nature, yes. so on Uris as a character doesn't know. That hyena has a freaking hellish bite. I don't know. You, you did know? go wander out in the desert. You yeah. probably met a hyena yeah. or two. Yeah. It's one of those things that's always interesting because, like, you can't roll on a knowledge that you don't put a rank in. But I always uh, like to assume that we have some generic knowledge about, like, just a little bit of everything. I, I always have to clarify this just because I love to point out the obscure rules. You can roll on a knowledge that you do not have a knowledge check as long as the DC is 10 or lower, which would include common animals for the region like, in which you are because the DC to identify them is five lower because they are common. Because like, so even mm -hmm. though none of us are, I don't have a rank in knowledge nature on yours knew that was a hyena, yeah. but it's one of those things. He doesn't have the knowledge to make a roll and go that hyena bite is going to F me up, man. Yeah. That was me as a player going, Oh crap, there's a hyena and it's going to come right at me because I'm right next to it. This is going to wreck my day. <laughs> you know, I, I do love that rule, though, just because for all of you identifying, let's say, a hippo, which I think is a challenge rating of four or five, mm -hmm. all of you identifying a hippo could identify a hippo rolling a 10 on a knowledge check, oh, um, oh, no. which you could do for a region that you're in. But someone from Andoran coming down doesn't get that minus five to the DC, which means that they don't have knowledge of nature. This hippo would pop out. They'd go, oh, God, magical beast. Well, yeah, like, on yours <laughs> probably isn't going to know what a polar bear is. Yeah, you would have no yeah. idea. Yeah. And, and that's actually the first time on yours season, like a moose. 
<laughs> I was like, oh god, yeah. what is this thing? Yeah. That, What's funny, wrong with that gazelle? Uh, <laughs> funny enough, that actually circles it back around to you know being from the region or from the uh, area where you're going to be running around in, yeah. uh, being beneficial is just for little things like that. Because yeah, you do get to roll on them if they're uh, considered kind of basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. What's next? Oh, so yeah, that was the end. Uh, he just signs off with thanks, Mark. But uh, he's playing the beginner box, and uh, we like I know Jess and I have played the beginner box. I don't know if you guys have nope. done the beginner I've box. I've opened yet. it and looked through it before. Uh, I love the beginner box. Beginner's box um, we so Jess and I used to actually teach uh, middle schoolers how to play Pathfinder mm-hmm. with the beginner box. Uh, and it's a fantastic resource, not just for small kids, but because uh, what the the Gritty Rats has a couple of, of I'll call them scenarios. Like they're they're really quick to play. Uh, they're usually like you walk into a room and something happens, you know, um, and it ends with a mini dungeon crawl, which was is really cool. Uh, but they also give you a simplified rule set to help people get used to all the different rules, because uh, obviously from listening to this, there's lots of exceptions and there's lots of like different things that we can do. Um, they do very simplified things like, I think the first stage is you're going to learn movement and basic combat. So like there's no attacks of opportunity. But then the next tier up is, okay, now you have attacks of opportunities and combat maneuvers become a thing. And so like it actually, it does a really good job of onboarding you into the system as you play through it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I was a huge fan of it whenever we were teaching. If you do like Pathfinder and you want to get into it, uh, the beginner box is great. Of course, you can just get the core rulebook and and go for it. But I found the beginner box to be a good kind of guiding stepping stone. Guiding think, stepping yeah. stone. The same mm-hmm. way that they have. Uh, mm-hmm. What is that hardcover they put out that was? Oh, strategy, oh, strategy I that guide. One. Yeah, the strategy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. The, the strategy guide, if you don't know what it is, uh, is a hardcover book that they put out that gives you builds. So if you wanted to make. Or like really quickly, well, like I just I don't know what I want to do, but I want to make a monk. They'll give you a monk and then a build for feats and things to level well, it up. Well, the cool thing about that is it doesn't just give you one build though. It usually mm-hmm. gives you like uh, two of the major tracks that you could do. Yeah. So like it starts out with every character usually takes like these feats, and then it's like okay, do you want to do like a uh, like a melee fighter or a something for a ranger, or do you want to do like an archery ranger? And it'll like tell you like what feats would be good for that. It helped me out so much when I. I first started just yeah so. it's a great resource and yeah all i can say is i think we speak for all of us when we're thrilled to hear that there's another person stepping into the amazing world of pathfinder and bringing some more of his friends in and yeah, yeah. please keep us up to date on how your adventures goes and like what adventure path you decide doing because we'd love to hear back from you yeah yeah and uh once again, thanks, Mark, for writing in and giving us a chance to talk about the beginner box. I also, because Rick made the comment that I think uh, Rick does a way better job of GMing than I do. Well, you, guys, you guys have never heard me probably up <laughs> on the recording, but uh, he's 100 times better than I am because... I can guarantee you they haven't heard you on the recording. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where are you GMing? Uh, <laughs> doing it on the side and publishing it. He's uh, just sitting in here with two dogs and two cats just running the game. <laughs> Mr. Winston would be an awful player. Welcome to Find the Meow. <laughs> Turns out Mr. Winston the is the worst of clerics. <laughs> Rocks fall, everybody dies. Uh, but Rick, Rick mentioned the uh, the campaign setting books and uh, some of the, um, what would be the term for those? Supplements. Yes. Uh, the supplemental books. Rick does a way better job than I do of knowing all the supplements and all the extra lore and, and really bringing that into the adventure path because... I do um, love reading them. Yeah, the, the adventure paths themselves give you the framework like they give you the base amount of the story but like it's up to the gm to kind of elevate that and rick does a way better job than anybody i've ever seen at really elevating and bringing in things that are not in the book but are things that you know are in one of the supplements that really bring the, the world to life way more so than if you just read the book as it is 
and more than just the adventure path, Paizo does a phenomenal job of providing just a sheer breadth of information for almost any place. Not every place, but any place in adventure path is, is set. So you can always find a lot more to flesh it out or make side tracks if you just... If you have someone that decides that they want to make a character that's not from that region, but you want to tie something in, it's always easy to to delve into the background lore and find something phenomenal. Or just to spice up something like a, a trip from Magnamar to Turtleback Ferry, you pass along five different towns on the way, so you could always just spice in a little bit while you're going, or add a little bit to your description, so thank you, though. Yeah, now, now that I'm actually, I, I started a, a homebrew, and oh my god. There's so much to put together to make the world feel alive and, and actually like livable that I really have gotten a new, brand new appreciation for Paizo and all the work that they've done to make it so I don't have to do that when I run an adventure path. So They are phenomenal. Yeah, they like I've had the campaign setting subscription for years now. And every time I get one of the books, it is so interesting to see what new stuff they put out. It's the kind of thing that like, it, it seems excessive because you're getting a new book every month they put out for this, the different subscriptions. And it seems like it's a lot like, man, who would need all that stuff? But you'd be surprised. Have we not ever posted a picture of Rick's shelf? Mm-hmm. Rick has a Google Doc with like a handful with, like, of books, books that he's... He, yeah, the 10 books he doesn't have. I'll get them someday. <laughs> um... <laughs> Let's, uh, we have time to cast probably one deity real quick. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so we can uh, do one deity. Um, Rick, I'll let you roll that or run that. Uh, I think Jessica bounced last time because she was hosting. So Jordan, don't bounce me a d20. Don't be a one. Wow. 17. Uh, all right. I'm going to have to... You guys have been consistently bouncing in the 17, 18, 19 Yeah, range. so I'm, we may have already done this one. Let's so see. I'm actually going to... I'll kick this up, which means Lamash 2... The mother of monsters. Ooh. Goddess of madness, monsters, and nightmares. I thought we did nightmares. Lamashtu already. No, no, we haven't done Lamashtu. No, so far you guys have done Zonkathun, Urgathoa, and Norgabur all in a row at the top We're just doing of evil. <laughs> evil first. So evil first, apparently. Uh, yeah. Mm. Oh, man. Lamashtu. So for description-wise, Lamashtu is a... She is the ascendant demon prince from the abyss. She is a perpetually pregnant female figure who has the head of a jackal and the wings of a vulture, I believe, and the tail of a serpent and the feet of a avian. Yeah, she's got yeah. claw feet. But her torso, upper legs, and arms are feminine. Like so a human it's another going to be another CGI. So who's yeah. a really yeah. good so character? She, and director. Looks like that. Yeah, I was going to say her head is the head of a jackal, but with three eyes. So she's actually yes. got a, a third eye, kind of in a triangle with the other two. Got to be a little oh, CGI man, contest a here. One. So really, we're looking for a voice. Yeah, I was yes. going to say it's really just voice. Man, I was kind of been dreading Lamash too because I have no good ideas for that off the top of my head. I have four. Rachel, why? Rachel, Rachel has an encyclopedic one. knowledge of actors and actresses. Choose your favorite one, Rachel. Yeah, Rachel Which, only gets one. She always has I'll, a million. Can I crib one, one of those for you? <laughs> I have one too. Oh, I have five. Stop thinking. Narrow, <laughs> narrow woman, narrow. My favorite one, Michelle Pfeiffer, huh? Because yeah. she has that kind of like sultry evil voice that's just amazing just because she's amazing just because i've enjoyed a lot of her recent voice work and i think it contrasts so well with the like the demonic and bestial appearance of lamash 2 scarlett johansson i've really liked her voice work that she's done Mm. a lot recently and i think she could deliver on something like that 
Okay, I found her name. Okay, who do you have? Claudia Black. She does Morgan oh, yeah. from yeah. Dragon yeah. Age. Oh, wow, that is a really good one. Oh, that's a really um, great one. I can't one. think what else she's done. She's done a ton of other stuff. She, uh, she was, was in Stargate SG-1 yeah. uh, in the later seasons. She was also in Farscape. She was the main female character in Farscape. She does yeah. a lot of voice work in video games. She was in one of the... Uh, she was... She was in one of the Drake games. She was like... Wasn't she... Um, oh, yeah, that's right. She's Chloe in the Uncharted games. Yeah. Yeah. I, but she does. She has a good sultry. Yes, yeah. she has a great voice. I think she would. I think that would be like amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, mine was Angelina Jolie. Okay. Oh, okay. Because she does that sultry evil voice. Like I'm thinking, like Maleficent. <laughs> Do you need yeah. to look at my other four? No. <laughs> For inspiration. Uh, no, I actually I decided on somebody, and it's a little bit of a wild card because I don't think she's ever done this kind of a thing before. But uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Oh. Is somebody I'm really a fan of because she's tough. Like she embodies that tough kind of vibe, and I feel like to be Lamash too, you got to be a little tough and a little you know hard. I could, hard I could think children. of another god that would work really well for her. Now that you mention her, oh uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I will go into that one. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing saying we can't offer <laughs> her up for multiple Double different cast. roles. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with Michelle Rodriguez because I also honestly I, I'm gonna vote for Claudia Black because I. That was a perfect one. Yeah, yeah. I think that Dang works. It. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to vote for Claudia Black. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. Claudia Black has it. She just does some really great voice work. Yeah. Like, looking at her filmography just now to remember what else she's done, she's done so much, and I think she could do a really good job with Lamash too. Yeah. She could do that evil kind of voice. It works. Yeah. See, that's so. why I picked Michelle Pfeiffer, because I'm uh, like... Uh, yeah, I was going to say. My, yeah, I was, gonna say I, was, I was thinking it was kind of a, interesting to think of her as like a Corella Deville kind of a character. So yeah, we have a couple of names to shout out for giving us some fabulous reviews on iTunes. So first off, special shout out to Malglove. I think it's Malglave. It's not okay. So Malglave, Malglove. Thank you so much for the iTunes review. We do really appreciate it. I've got Clave Jones, who is. Uh, been really helpful for our podcast so thank you so much yeah we love clay uh yes, yeah we clay, do. clay from nerds on earth also yeah. read nerds on earth <laughs> yeah definitely yeah, nerds on earth they're phenomenal so they actually just did their end of the year awards for the best like rpg supplements best new games best board games and everything else so if you've got some some extra money or some christmas money to spend on some board games it's a definite uh, check out that list and find some awesome things and then uh, thank you to Rolling Crits for your mm. great iTunes review. Yes. I wish I was Rolling Crits. Crits. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you to our buddy KTD6731871, which will probably be my next Android name. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for writing in and giving us that awesome review. And thanks to Atlantean Nomad 7. Say hi to Aquaman for us. Which is a great... I, I will That's point out one. that Atlantean Nomad wins my favorite title for a review yes. uh, of this group, which is Can't Mask It, This Pod is Great. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you for that. That's uh, that's right in the film. Although Malgave also gave us uh, three hearts and a lull, so that's okay, also that's <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm always really intrigued by where people come up with their names for their handles online. It's There's always a story, right, of how did you get this name? Yeah, so th- thanks, everybody, for giving us reviews on iTunes. Uh, we do really appreciate it. It helps the pod out to get uh, more people interested. And we've converted more people to play. Woot! Yeah, also, mission yeah, mission accomplished yeah. for getting somebody to uh, pick up Pathfinder. Mission yeah. accomplished, last episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you all. We'll see you all in the next You'll never <laughs> find out what happens. No, we're, we're oh, blatantly lying. Yes. No, we're, we're definitely lying. We couldn't stop this even if we wanted to. 
I mean, uh, even if we weren't recording anymore, we'd keep playing. So yeah, exactly. I was like, I was gonna say, I've got to know. I've got to know what the story is on this. Like, it'll it'll eat me alive. If we gotta don't. keep going. Uh, so anyway, but be sure to listen to episode forty, where maybe we all die. You or don't we know get unless a cool you sword. listen. We get a cool sword. It's we either all die two. or we get a sword. Yeah, I was gonna We're say gonna know about the sword. That's a Boolean value. There is a one we live or zero we die. Yes, it's no, much like cake or death, but it's just treasure or death. We're all out of cake. Uh, treasure. <laughs> I, I didn't realize we had such a run on treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I came here to collect treasure and kick. I'm all out of treasure. <laughs> so yes, thank you, Pathfinders, and until uh, next time, good luck. Bye. Don't get eaten by mummies. Don't make Mamiya. <laughs> well, obviously. Don't, don't do Mamiya, kids. Mamiya is bad. We are recording. Recording. Greetings, Pathfinders, and welcome to Adventure Path. I welcome knew I was going to that up. This is AB13. You thought you were getting an after party, but actually you're yes. getting a whole new adventure path. Oh, God. All right, Jordan, whole plot right now on the fly. Let's go. Book one. Uh, so you find yourselves in a tavern. Uh, you're going to find that there's a trap door underneath the, the tavern. tavern. <laughs> they always start in tavern. Underneath the tavern that takes you to an, a fine plane of fire and... and and the, oh, and the old Paizo suggestions for write-ins for Dungeon Magazine, they specifically said the three things to avoid were starting an adventure in a tavern, yep. armies of the undead, and anything involving a dragon or a princess. <laughs> you start all, all in the, the stereotypes. You start in a the tavern. And a princess, but. The princess has been taken by an army of undead dragons, <laughs> and you must <laughs> rescue her. Go. We'll call it dead dragon. Also, you have no proficiencies in any weapons. Go. Uh, <laughs> or magic. Everyone's proficient was simple, even if you're just five kilometers. You have no hands. <laughs> no hands. Uh, let me do that again. So. Oh. I'll probably edit some of that in because it was funny. Yeah, because it was funny. Yeah, no, it was, it was funny. Um,